Hey, this is Guy Sebastian, and you're listening to FM 99.3. Northside Radio, FM 99.3. It's Brennan Zoo here, and I'm co-presenting today with Richard Bell on Northside Radio 99.3. And uh, we have another special guest uh, on the line with us uh, today. We have uh, Tim Kwan, who was born and raised in Gordon, um, and he went to a local a school in Shaw, uh, and is now a young doctor at Nepean Hospital um, in the infectious diseases department. So he's on the front line quite literally and dealing with COVID cases as well, at least when they were COVID cases uh, in New South Wales. Tim, thank you for joining us today. Thanks very much for having me. So Tim, um, tell us a bit about yourself um, and what it's like being a doctor in the infectious diseases department during this pandemic. I think everyone would love to know um, a bit about what's been going on behind the scenes um, as a frontline healthcare worker. Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm a resident, so it's second year being a doctor at the moment. And suddenly the experience I've had dealing with this COVID pandemic has really changed substantially from a lot of fear and anxiety when I was working in, um, working in ICU at the start of the year when we first started to get these COVID patients through to a little bit of a lull when we weren't getting the COVID patients and also people were scared staying at home so we weren't getting so many other patients as well and now i'm working in infectious diseases it's a little bit more business as usual but we're starting to learn a lot more about covid and about how to treat this tim uh, just in terms of uh, how your colleagues were faring at the time uh, understandably i guess a patient might come in with certain symptoms they look to you to do a professional job but your colleagues and team members as they step outside the ward and they think about how life's panning out at the moment, there must have been uh, some uncertainties. This is a new territory for them. There must have been some, mm. uh, I guess, doubt about where this is all going to play out. Is, is it going to taper down? Is it go, going to be exponentially worse? Uh, that, that would have been hard to completely suppress. Absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of anxiety in the community, but also... In the hospital, we, we really, when this first started to be seen, we didn't know what to do. Um, one of my colleagues, when she saw her first COVID patient, actually, uh, he was really scared and she was uncertain. And he, he was asking her, oh, please, I need to speak to my wife. And she didn't know if he was going to make it, although he was reasonably stable at the time. She just didn't know. She gave him her phone and then when she left the room, she dropped her phone in a, a, a disinfectant bottle of alcohol um, and just broke a brand new iPhone. So that's, I guess, an example of when we first started to see these COVID patients, uh, the uncertainty that it did bring. Well, of course, the reality was at the time that uh, pretty much no professional staff and no emergency workers and um, departmental officers, for that matter, had any training in the specifics of this pandemic. So it's a brave new world. And as you mentioned, it could have gone in a lot of different directions, not the sort of thing that we should be looking back with just uh, in retrospective terms. But um, we were able to draw on the knowledge and information and experience of other countries who were going through this cycle ahead of Australia. Well, to some extent, we certainly had some benefit in Australia that others overseas had experienced COVID-19 and we'd also seen some public health responses. 
But in the early stages, the research, and I mean, it's still the case, the research is very limited. So we did have some benefit, but when COVID-19 came to Australia, we didn't have any specific therapies. We didn't have any uh, real knowledge about how this disease differed from a any um, any uh, more common respiratory infection. We were able to draw on the threads, I guess, in the training based on uh, you know respiratory issues generally that would give you a base of of uh, treatment and care and safety for patients, but you wouldn't have been in a position to be able to reassure a patient about how this will actually pan out over time, whether it be better or worse, or indeed, if they pressed you on it, whether we even have enough equipment. Indeed, and at the start, and, and still is the case, a big thing has been trying to reassure patients and their families because, of course, the families haven't been able to visit uh, their unwell um, the unwell patients when they're sick with COVID-19 in hospital. And so a big thing was trying to call them regularly and not necessarily to let them know exactly what would happen because we also uh, didn't know and we often don't know um, even for more common conditions. But just trying to keep them up to date was a big thing, I think. Did you find that, I uh, asked you a moment ago about the impact on staff and the uncertainties that they may have in the corridor, but I guess this plays out too that uh, we talk about frontline workers, but frontline workers' families are thinking, well, uh, you know, I'm not quite sure where my relative or friend uh, is going to go today, where, where this is going to pan out, what's the impact going to be, are they going to be infectious, are they going to bring that infection h home? Uh, are these difficult conversations, are they actually happening or are they the sort of thing that people feel, well, I've just got to you know, do my best and this is the risk of practice, but it's very, very hard to actually discuss? Well, you know, after the first week that I had looking after... Uh, these COVID-19 patients in the ICU. We had a week off, which is the structure that we have. And I remember coming back and joking with my colleagues saying, well, looks like we didn't catch COVID-19 because we really didn't have much idea of how infectious it was or whether our protective equipment was going to be adequate. But it was. And, I mean, I personally don't know any healthcare workers who've been infected. And uh, I think that the equipment that we're using is effective and the precautions we're taking are certainly helping. We discussed off air some of the public health initiatives and the publicity by government uh, and similar organisations and uh, the common sense of those is is holding up, isn't it? That the uh, emphasis, for example, on hand washing and if possible avoiding you know, touching your face, uh, the regular washing, the social distancing, those public health messages uh, have held up over time and uh, very hard to do it algebraically, I guess, but they seem to have um, been certainly strong measures. There doesn't seem to be too much controversy on those, a bit of politics on masking perhaps, but that those those measures have seemed to have stood the test of time, both uh, in the community and in the medical world. Yes, and it's all based off research of uh, about cold and flu viruses. So our assumption was largely that 
coronavirus would be behaving in a similar way. And mm. indeed, that does seem to be holding up, as, as you mentioned. I think, Richard, you were, you were pressing me earlier off air for some, you know, some inside advice about ways to protect against COVID. Um, but as, as you mentioned, those uh, public health messages we get, I think, are really the best messages that we have. I think that's the most effective way to combat the disease. In terms of uh, the the fact that uh, at your age, uh, just uh, shortly into your medical career, the fact that you've been thrown the curveball of a pandemic that you weren't really trained for at university, uh, intensive care unit and uh, infectious diseases, does that suggest that uh, your hospital regards you uh, very highly and a person of great promise or, or, or either that or you're the least popular? But um, <laughs> but in terms of uh, uh, the way in which um, the learning has developed, um, there must be a lot of a, a, a bank of learning and goodwill that has come out of this f for any other surprise uh, things of this type that we may face as, uh, medically and as a community. I think so. So on my first day at medical school at the University of Sydney, I was actually told that the knowledge that we learned would have a half-life of seven years. That is that after seven years, half of what we'd learned would no longer be current. And I think I've seen a, some examples of how quickly knowledge does decay and how much we need to learn new knowledge uh, through this pandemic. But I, in that, to answer your question, I think absolutely um, there's a lot that we have to learn about uh, how we can do better and how we can learn more in as we respond to new health challenges. I think there's certainly been a lot of research challenges uh, in combating this pandemic, both trying to get good quality research off the ground and getting it off the ground quickly, and also issues with sharing information in order to make sure that we have the best data available to scientists. This is North Sun Radio FM 99.3 speaking to Dr Tim Kwan from his local studies. He's commenced his early medical career uh, firstly in the intensive care unit then infectious diseases working closely uh, on what they have called the front line for COVID-19. It's been a massive challenge. Uh, Brendan. That's right and as we look towards the next steps um, Tim is there anything you look forward to um, in terms of the medical industry and what we can learn from these experiences to better prepare ourselves and what can we expect um, in the next few months or next few years even um, as we continue to be more ready? Well I suppose I can comment generally uh, in terms of the way research is approached. I think We've learned a lot, as I was touching on, about the importance of sharing data and trying to do collaborative research efforts. Um, yeah, I, I've um, so to give you an example, I've I've become recently part of a symposium uh, called Predict Nineteen, where it's an international effort to share data on uh, these coronavirus nineteen patients and also mm. to uh, share samples. And that's been quite a big uh, limitation in what we've been doing so far. Um, often we have all of the positive cases in one spot where the clinicians are also doing the research and just 
don't have time to get out really good quality research. Mm. Whereas in places like Sydney, we don't have quite as many positive cases. Right. Uh, and we have a lot of people who are quite keen to do research. Mm. And so it's been a challenge to match up those two things. Yeah. So um, I, I think uh, we're learning in this pandemic to, to share, share data and share samples. And mm. I think this will be going forward as we think about how we can approach lots of health challenges. Mm. And would you be able to have some of those samples from, let's say, Melbourne, Victoria, where the outbreak was, and have it transported to Sydney? What would that look like in terms of a procedure and medical research? Well, in our case, the, the lab I'm working with, we'd certainly love to get samples from Melbourne, but mm. we haven't been able to do that mm. at this stage, um, partly due to ethical concerns, but also mm. you need to get people who are very happy uh, to share all their samples with okay. us. Okay. Yeah, well, again, thank you, uh, Dr. Tim Kwan, for your time today and the role you play on the front line of the healthcare system. Tim, it's been great having you this afternoon and uh, it's really good that you can share those insights here at Northside Radio. And uh, thanks very much to yourself and also your team workers in the infectious diseases and intensive care units at Nepean and other hospitals for keeping us safe and sound and what they go through. It's really appreciated. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks, Tim. Northside Radio FM 99.3. Uh, this is Human Nature. Northside Radio FM 99.3.